Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some truths regarding the church. That the church is not a building nor a location, but rather the church is you through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is the church you, but the church is unique in so many ways. How she is viewed, how she is valued, how she is created. And this uniqueness, which touched, was touched on last week when we looked at who we are as the church. And we zoomed in on several beautiful truths, like how the church is the most precious assembly on earth since the Lord Jesus purchased it with his own blood, how the church is the earthly expression of a heavenly reality, how the church is the only institution that the Lord has promised to build and to bless, and how the church is the realm of spiritual fellowship. And with this knowledge, the beauty of these truths was to remind us of the Lord's involvement with us and that our identity in him as his child. And because of this, his involvement and our identity, if clearly understood, can quell any insecurity we may have and grant comfort in any struggles we may encounter. Think about that. To know your love, to know you're secure, to know your gods because the center of one's focus is taken off themselves and placed upon him. Thus, as a people, as a church belonging to God, we can also know that what, because of who we are, know what we are to be doing. And so let's open in a word of prayer as we look at a few more beautiful truths about who we are as the Ecclesia, as God's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask for you to speak to us now. Please open our eyes to see and see the greatness of who you are and, and how you have made us your people through Jesus Christ. And so as we open your word to now, uh, open your word today, please teach us. Please encourage our hearts. Please convict our hearts. Please draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how in every relationship, whether professional or whether personal, there are always expectations that are connected to those relationships? For example, as a friend, personally, there is a level of trust that is expected to be within that friendship relationship. In a family, there is, there is a level of unity or a bond of unity and a level of confidence or a certainty of confidence that takes place within the family and it's just expected to be present. That's on a personal level, on a professional level, for the likes of, say, Brother Bill, who is a business owner, there are certain expectations that are required from him in the position he has as a business owner to his employees that he must care for and pay wages to, as well as to the clients in whom he provides services for. Or the likes of Sister Eva, who, as a high school teacher, has an expectation of not only teaching the young children well in high school, but also plays a big part in moulding and shaping these young minds in preparation for their future. In a similar manner, too, if the physical realm is a manifestation of a spiritual reality, then 
our relationship with Jesus Christ carries with it a certain level of expectation from us too. Yes, my salvation from sin is solely by Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. That was by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 refers to that. It also means that I live my life as his child by the same means, by grace through faith as we looked at in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. But like Bill and Eva, like a family member or a friendship, there are also in my spiritual relationship certain expectations that I position myself to meet by entering into that relationship. Thus, as the ecclesia, thus as the church, there are these unique positions we get to partake of and we get to do or perform for the glory of God. For example, did you know the church is the gathering place of true worshippers? The church is the gathering place of true worshippers. The key word there is true, as in genuine, legitimate, authentic worshippers of Jesus Christ. We're told within the scriptures, as well as experience personally, the reality of true and false conversions. People who profess to be Christians and the reality of whether they really are Christians. We look in the scriptures and we read about the wheat and the tares. We read of the, the sheep and the goats. Jesus himself refers to himself in John chapter 15 verse 1, John chapter 15 verse 1 as the true vine, which automatically implies that there are false vines that claim to be givers of life as well. But as followers of him who is the way, the truth, and the life, the church is to be the gathering of those who have believed and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and entered into that wonderful privileged position of being called a son or a daughter. In John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as received him, as in Jesus Christ, he gave them the right to become or to be called the sons and daughters of God. So true, true worshippers, true worshippers. What is worship? Worship is more than just singing, although a heart of worship can express itself in song. Worship is more than just giving, but a heart of worship is generous. Worship is more than just religious ritual, but a heart of worship treasures the things of God as sacred. It is more than saying thanks, although it does stem from gratitude. It is more than self-denial, although it does willingly sacrifice. And it is more than going through the motions, although you willingly discipline yourself. Worship, in my simplistic terms, is about the acknowledgement recognition and adoration of God in response to God's love and generosity bestowed to and upon me in Jesus Christ. And the ecclesia, the church, 
is where like-minded people have been the recipients of that same love and of that same generosity as they desire to express their acknowledgement, their recognition, and their adoration, not only individually, but also corporately as a people. In their corporate acknowledgement, in their corporate recognition, and in their corporate adoration, in other words, in their corporate worship of the Lord Jesus for what he has done, who on the cross broke the chains that had us enslaved to the God of this world, who liberated us from our own selfish desires, and who freed us from being captive to this world's lust. We read such praiseworthy things, such worship-worthy things in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I encourage you to take these three verses and meditate on the praiseworthy goodness of God expressed here in Jesus Christ. There was an old TV show called Dragnet, and the key phrase that was often used as the policeman interviewed people was just, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, ma'am. And as you look at these facts, you'll note that every single point is worthy of acknowledgement, worthy of recognition, and worthy of adoration. Or in other words, every point is worthy of worship. That we are in mercy given us a new birth. That we have, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, given a living hope. That we are the receivers of an inheritance that is imperishable and held on to, kept for us, and that through faith we are shielded by God's power until it was be ready to be revealed in the last time. That is a privilege granted to us. If this is who we are as the church, then this is a part of our being as being people of worship. People of, as Philippians 3, 3 says, People of the circumcision, as in having our former way of life stripped away, who serve God by His Spirit, willingly living in servitude to a loving Master, who boast in Christ Jesus, proclaiming the greatness of His transforming power, and who put no confidence in the flesh, being fully reliant and dependent upon Him. So not only is the ecclesia the gathering of true worshippers, we are also to be the proclaimers and protectors of divine truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, 
You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. It has been said that sometimes churches have desired to become so relevant to the world, they have become irrelevant. That churches have desired to become so relevant to the world that they have become irrelevant. An observation that has a lot of truth to it. In an effort to gain numbers, in a, in a struggle to hold on to its current members, churches are willing to compromise biblical truth holy values, and godly standards. In an attempt to be more accepted by society or considered as being on the right side of public opinion, have forsaken the very things that caused the church to stand out from the rest of the world in the first place. What caused them to stand out? Divine truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the reality of who God is. We are to be proclaimers of the good news, proclaimers of the gospel, which is becoming more increasingly viewed as hate speech. It is becoming more increasingly viewed as being discriminatory. Truths such as that there is none righteous, no, not one, as it says in Romans 3.10. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23. And nobody likes to be referred to as a sinner. No one sees themselves in such a way, even though we are told in Romans 5.8 that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us because people don't want to acknowledge that they are in need of help, even as sinners. And that as sinners, we are told that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And then we give this one, given this wonderful promise in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God had raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But that, that truth now, that divine truth, has been laid aside, that you can't go around calling people sinners, that you can't go around holding people accountable for moral depravity and offences against God. You can't go around doing such things and hold to such biblical things. That is not popular today. Such things are viewed as archaic and as outdated. But we are called to proclaim that message, not only to proclaim that message of righteousness, proclaim that message of holiness, proclaim that message of goodness and of love as well as of judgment. While we are called to proclaim that message, we are also called to protect that message, that there is no other foundation that can be laid other than has been laid, which is Jesus Christ, to protect the message that we are to abstain from sexual immorality, as it says in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 3, to protect the divine truth that we are to be holy because he is holy, as we are told in 1 Peter 1.15. That we are to protect the divine truth, that we are to consider it all joy when we fall into diverse trials, as it says, uh, to consider it all joy, should I say, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. 
Oh, that we are to pray continually, to rejoice always, and to give thanks in everything, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A little while ago, my wife and I were talking, and this thought arose, which I would encourage you to think and meditate upon yourself. But we can become so concerned with what or how other people think, whether they're Christians or not, or, how, or whether other people are offended, that we are so concerned with what other people think that we totally lay aside the thought of what God thinks or how God feels. Why, why aren't we concerned about what God thinks or prioritize how he feels when things go on in people's lives? My friends didn't die for me on the cross. Jesus did. My family didn't offer a sacrifice that made me acceptable to God. Jesus did. My work colleagues didn't cause my name to be written in the book of life or cause me to be made a new creation or cause me to be sealed for all eternity. Jesus did. And if I've believed and received of that beautiful message of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me, resurrected from the dead for me, ascended up on high for me, <coughs> then I, as a part of the ecclesia, I, as a part of his body, a part of his church, am to be a proclaimer and protector of that truth. To, to, of that truth that transforms people's lives, the, the power of God unto salvation, that I am to protect and to proclaim that truth, that I am to be more concerned with him and what he thinks and what is pleasing to him rather than what people think and whether they're offended or not. Because if I am protecting and proclaiming divine truth, it results in me actually loving and caring and honoring others as well. And that's how it works. The prioritizing of loving God first results in us loving others the way that God desires us to love them. And that's what happens. We are to be protectors and proclaimers of divine truth. Titus chapter 2 Verse 1 says this, as it's a charge for Titus in teaching the church. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And then as you read through Titus chapter 2, you have instructions that talks about for the older men that they are to do this, for the older women they are to do this, for the younger men they are to do this, for children to do that, etc., 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 so all the way through chapter 2, you are given specific instructions as a proclaimer of divine truth, but also as a protector of that truth to communicate it to those that were within, not only within the flock, but exemplify that truth to all those around us. And then in verse 15, it says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is our role. This is what is required of us as God's church, as the ecclesia. 
For we are, as the church, the gathering place of true worshippers and the proclaimers and protectors of divine truths. And these last two truths, beautiful truths that flow on from this, I've actually combined because they're interconnected, because one naturally flows into the other. So the third point says the church is the chief place for spiritual edification and growth. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we read this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, this is a place for spiritual edification and growth. But, but, you go somewhere for training, you go somewhere to be built up, you go somewhere to grow, but not to remain in the place where the growth is occurring, but it's for something else. And you look around and see this all the time. An apple tree does not grow apples for itself, but so that others might partake of it and enjoy. An orange tree, likewise. When you see anything like this, a lot of things are done for the purpose of for other things benefit. The chair you're sitting on now was not so the chair could sit there by itself, but in order for it to be used to be sat on, so that you could sit down right now and be watching me on your television. Your television is so that you can watch and see someone else. Sadly, it's my face at the moment. But usually things are done for a specific purpose. This here, this here is that we are built up for the purpose of going out and representing Jesus Christ. Let me explain. Dan Juma Gibson, who was an African-American pastor who encouraged his church to be around people who would stir them up and spur them on into love and good works. He would say, surround yourself with people who would encourage you in the faith. Surround yourselves with brothers and sisters who would edify you, who would build you up in the faith and would spur you on into love and good works. He said, if you want to be a person that brought forth 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold, in your spiritual journey, then hang out with brothers and sisters who would encourage you or who would actually, you want to bring forth 30-fold? Hang out with a brother that brings forth 30-fold. You want to bring forth 60-fold? Then hang out with a sister that brings forth 60-fold. You, you want to be a person who brings forth 100-fold? Then hang out with a, an uncle or an auntie or a brother or a sister or your parents or whoever it might be who bring forth 100-fold. You see, our, our preparation for growth and our potential for spiritual growth is done so in the church, but the depth of that preparation and the fulfillment of that potential is done in life. 
It is done where the rubber hits the road. That's where it all takes place. There's no point spending all your time preparing for something and not doing anything with it. Whether it be a, a sports illustration where if you're practicing skills, whether it might be basketball or, or volleyball or tennis, whatever it might be, it's wonderful to, to prepare, but it's, it's actually quite useless if you never actually put yourself in a game or in a situation to use those things. So too in the spiritual realm, yes, we can spend all our time reading the Word. Yes, we can spend all our time praying. Yes, we can spend all our time thinking about things, but we will never know, and you know this, you know this so often. It's been told over and over again by myself and by so many others, you will never get to realize or never get to experience the fullness of God's Word and the fullness of His promises and the power of his spirit if you never step out in faith and put yourself into a situation to have those promises fulfilled or to have that power lived out and this is why it's so important it's where the rubber hits the road it's it's in those trials that you see the reality of those promises come forward for and this is the last point i want to look at the church is the launching pad for world evangelism the church is the launching pad for evangelism. We're equipped, we are spiritually edified and built up in order to go out into the world and evangelize, not only in word, but also in deed. You see, all of these points, all of these truths, how the church is the gathering place for true worshipers, how the church are the protectors and proclaimers of divine truth, how it's the chief place of spiritual edification and growth, it points to the fact that you and I are to be the preachers of the word, being instant in season and out of season in word and in deed. That we are the city on a hill that can be seen by everybody in word and in deed. That we are the light that shines in the darkness in word and in deed. That we are the ambassadors of Christ, that we are the ministers of reconciliation and that we are the bearers of the gospel of God's salvation in Jesus Christ in word and in deed. And as the church, we are commanded, not suggested, not implied, we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mark 16, 15. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. You see, these beautiful truths point to who we are as the ecclesia. And they are laid out specifically and clearly in Scripture for us to know what we are to be doing as the ecclesia. That as the flock of God, we have safety under his protection and Provision as we find shelter under his wings, uh, Psalm 57 1, and secured in his hand, John 10 29. That as the body of Christ, responding in obedience to his direction and instruction, for he is the head of the body, as he seeks to strengthen and equip us, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are built up in him as a building fit for his presence to dwell. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 3, verse 16. But 
You see, if this is who we are as the flock, as the temple, and as his body, we then, as the followers of Jesus, have expectations placed upon us in that relationship. That as a follower of Jesus, I have now been made a fisher of men, which means I am to be fishing, lovingly throwing out the line that's hooked with the gospel in order to bring people or to, 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 to reel people in to experience the love of Jesus Christ and live on a completely different plane of existence. That as a child of the Most High God, I have received the gift of life that has taken me from the kingdom of this world and placed me in the kingdom of His dear Son, Christ Jesus. And as I have freely received of that life, I am told I am to freely give that life also. And as a new creation in Christ, I'm to walk in the newness of life with my affection set on things above and not on things of the earth, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. For the things of this world are transient, but the things that are spiritual are eternal. Now, I have done this in the past, and I have seen this done and heard this done by others as well, but when a mistake has been made, I have heard, other, or you know, when a mistake has been made, or, and I've seen others make mistakes, I have pleaded ignorance, or I've heard others plead ignorance. I didn't know what I said would be offensive or would offend you. My apologies. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you didn't like that when I would do things like this. I'm so sorry, but that it won't happen again. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't know that was your food in the fridge when even though your name was on it and the sign said, don't eat Joe's food. Um, but more often than not, we will let things slide because they're done in ignorance. You know, I don't expect people to be a mind reader. I don't expect people to, you know, to know automatically what would be offensive or what wouldn't be offensive. Or you know, I don't expect people, especially if they're only just learning how things work. But, but God in his grace has made known to us who we are in Christ. We have spent the last several months looking at Colossians, studying just that. Not only studying who we are, but also who God is. And even in the last couple of weeks, we have spent reaffirming those truths of who we are and who God is. And how God in His mercy has clearly laid out for us in the Scriptures all things that pertain unto life and godliness and the expectations of belonging to his family. He has laid out in his goodness and given us his spirit that lives within us and enables us to live in accordance with his word and to obey the commands he has set out for us. He is also in his understanding and his foresight when I fail, when I make mistakes, when I fall into sin, He has given us, given me the means by which I can be made right with Him and live a life free of condemnation. Such is the love God has bestowed upon us as the sons and daughters of God. But that also means that you and I cannot say to God, I didn't know. 
You and I cannot plead ignorance because he has brought every aspect of our lives as his child to light. I am told within the scripture that nobody can stand before God and say, I didn't know, I never heard your gospel. It says within the scriptures clearly that for the lost, that nobody can be without excuse, which then places a greater condemnation on me for me to claim that I didn't know when I have everything I need written here before me in Scripture. We know everything could have been brought to light. We are told of the freedom that we have in Christ. We are told of the power given to us by His Spirit. We are told of the destination that we have laid before us, secured in the hand of God the Father. We have all things made available to us, so we cannot plead ignorance. So, so, if this then is who we are as the church, and we know as the church what is expected of us, my encouragement to you is to go forth this week, brothers and sisters, in the power of his spirit, on the promises of his word, and under the watchful eye of our heavenly Father, and be who we are in Christ, doing what God has designed and purposed for us to do. Helen Keller said this, Many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It is not attained through self-gratification, but through a fidelity or a faithfulness to a worthy purpose. And what greater purpose for us to be consumed by? God's purposes, Jesus' call, and the Spirit's enabling. For in living in this manner, we will truly discover, not only truly discover, we will truly experience what real, godly, divine happiness in Christ actually is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beautiful truths found within your word, not only about who we are and what we have been made in Christ, but also clearly laid out for us what we are to be doing, the expectations and the relationship we have with you. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. Thank you for the provisions that you have made for our weaknesses as we are people of mere flesh and blood. But we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've empowered us by your spirit. We thank you for the promises of your word, and we thank you for your very presence within each of our lives. We ask you to dismiss us now, and that as we go from here, we will go forth, Lord, and just be transformed by this wonderful message. As the ecclesia, we might truly shine as a light. As the ecclesia, we might be a body that is in unity with you, and that as your ecclesia, we might be a temple that is fitting for your presence to dwell. So, Father, glorify yourself now. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for that. 
We are going to have a Zoom fellowship time after this uh, message, so it'd be wonderful to catch up with you, even just for a little bit. And if you aren't able to make it, that is fine. Um, please continue to pray about the internet being set up. Please continue to try and contact people to say hello and to let them know that they're being prayed for. If I don't see you at the Zoom meeting, I will see you next week. God bless and take care. Have a great week and go forth and represent. Catch you guys later.